Now, we will be starting a, a mini-series just three weeks on, on uh, it's going to be called exegete. And all that word means, and I know maybe uh, that's not in our everyday vocabulary, and all it means is to make known, to reveal, uh, 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 to, to bring out. And what we'll be doing for uh, one week, which is today, is how, how do we exegete, how do we engage with the, with the Christian scriptures? What do we do with them? What are they? And then, as, as was mentioned, uh, Mark McCrindle will be coming and speaking on uh, Australia and knowing our city and our country. And then Matt will come and, and round us off uh, with reading cultural trends as well. So uh, please come along to all of those. And uh, as an encouragement, uh, something that I heard a long time ago, the late John Stott, some of you may know him, he said, a Christian is someone who has two books in their hands, a Bible and a newspaper. Uh, we must know our scriptures. We must know uh, how God has spoken to us. But we must also know the world that we live in so that we can communicate that in a loving and gentle and intelligent way. So what we'll be doing today, we're just going to be making a few movements, okay? The first one is, what is the Bible? What is scripture? What is it? If someone were to ask you, would we be able to give an account of, of what it is that we come here every week uh, to hear explained? What is it that we read when we get up in the morning? What, what are the scriptures? And the second movement is, how do we even approach them then? How do we even come? What's the posture that we need to approach the Bible, to approach the scripture, to approach God's word? And then finally, we're actually going to get into some uh, nitty-gritty, how, how do I actually read a text? What do I do with the passages and the words, and, and what do I do with that? And I would love to spend three hours here, uh, but they've capped me at two, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray four hours. Matt said four. He's the lead pastor. I'm, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to pray uh, because I need help, but so do you, to listen. So let's pray together. Father, uh, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for the rain. Uh, a lot of us don't like it. I do, so thank you. Um, we, we ask, Lord, that you will uh, help us this morning, uh, that you will help us to keep our minds clear, and uh, uh, you would help me to avoid confusion. Help me to forget the things that will be unhelpful, but help me to remember those that are going to bring people who are far from you near and are going to bring those who are in you up into you even more and grounded into you even deeper. So, Lord, uh, we ask for your help now. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you, you've had this experience where you walk into a room, whether it's work or home, and you, you drop into a conversation that it's already been happening. And, and a couple of things could happen. You can either hear the most inappropriate things, and you're just like, oh, okay, I'm just going to go this way, and you just leave the room. Because you don't know, you, you haven't understood the context, what was going on, the conversations that were happening. So you can just leave. The other, the other thing that I've done, and I'm a little bit ashamed of this, is I join the conversation. I don't know what they're talking about, but I'm just trying to pick up some contextual clues. And I'm like just nodding and saying, yeah, laughing. Yeah, that is true. She did say that, didn't Yeah. And have no clue what's going on. And so often I feel that that's how we approach the Bible. We, we're, we're approaching, we're coming into this conversation that's already been happening and either one of two things happen. We either are confused and we leave and we don't engage the scriptures or we just pretend and we just try to pick up some clues here and there and we try to make our way through you know, a blind man in a dark room. But I think there's a better way. And here at Anchor, we value, I mean, we uphold the scriptures. We believe the scriptures are God's word 
to us. We believe the scriptures are perfect. They are inerrant. They are infallible. All those things. There is no error in the Bible. We love the scriptures here. And we would love nothing more than to, to know and to see the fruit of our engagement, of our reading, of our praying, of, of, our, of our struggling with some of the things that we find in the scriptures. And that's what this is all about. So one, what, what, what are the scriptures? And I think so often it's helpful to know what the scriptures are not. It's so often sometimes to, to speak in, in negation. What, what, are, what the Bible isn't first? A couple things. The Bible is not a self-help guide. A lot of times, and, and I, I've seen and read a lot of books that, that have said, well, all you really need to add to your life is just a bit of salt and pepper of the Bible. You, you take one proverb here or one psalm here, a bit of comfort here, and then your life will be much better. It's not a self-help guide. It's not something that we come to to just enrich ourselves and salt and we, we, to season our lives. Another thing that it isn't, and growing up in America, I, maybe this hasn't been your experience, but there was this acronym that used to be used all the time, which is B-I-B-L-E, which spells Bible. And what that meant was basic instructions before leaving earth. It's like, what? I mean, if, if anyone's ever read it, it's, one, it's not basic, and they're not just instructions before we leave earth. In fact, the Bible teaches that we will not be leaving this earth. The Bible teaches that God will come down and transform this earth and put us in it as transformed people. So that can't be true. Another thing, it's just not a collection of stories, random, r- random randomness of stories put together. And, and finally, it's not a tool to oppress you know, coming from America and, and, and having the, the, the background of, of, of chattel slavery and how the Bible was used to oppress people. And even today on Facebook, people use the Bible and quote scriptures to oppress people, to put people down. And that's not what it's about. That's not what it's for. That's not why it was given to us. That's not why God has spoken. So I'm going to read a part of it. It's going to be on the screen from Luke 24. And we're going to see a couple things in there in just a moment. So if you would join me, Luke 24, we'll be beginning in verse 36. Luke 24. And if you don't own a Bible, we do have some in the back that we'd love to give you as a gift. Uh, So please take one of those with you if you do not own one. Luke 24. Verse 36, as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written 
that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So what are the scriptures? What, what is this that we revere as Christians that we revere? And, and maybe you don't identify uh, yourself here as a Christian and you always wonder, what, what is it with this book? So what's the Bible? This is it. It's uh, 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 66 books put together, 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New, written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors in three different languages telling one marvelous story. And this is it. The scripture is this. The scripture is the triune God's revelation of himself through prophets and apostles. And scripture reveals his character and his plans. That is, listen, his being and his doing in the universe for the sake of his name, through the power of the spirit, and for the glory of the son, Jesus Christ. And that, that is the scriptures. And the Bible is just not, listen, a lot of us have been taught maybe, or, or have learned that the Bible is just a, a set of propositions, some, some facts about God. And while uh, the scriptures do obviously obtain some things about who God is, what he loves, what he hates, what we should love, what we should hate, all these propositions, all these truth claims about who he is are not something that's given to us to, to file away in some theological Rolodex. Everything we learn about who God is in Christ by the illumination of the Spirit, everything is to foster relationship. It's like this. I mean, when, when, when I met my wife, uh, my now wife, uh, I would ask her things like, well, what's your hair color? And, and, and you know, I, I can see that. What, what do you like? Uh, what, what, what don't you like? And all these things, just information. If I were to do nothing with them, what would be the point? All of the information, all of those propositional truth, those truth claims that God is holy, 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 Isaiah 6 says. All these things, God is love. All these things are supposed to do one thing. Bring us closer into a deeper relationship with him. Information is not. Theology and information and truth are not the enemy of a deep relationship. In fact, they are the way in which we understand our beautiful God so that we can enter into a deeper relationship with him. That's the point. And like any relationship has truth claims. Any relationship is going to have propositional claims, prop propositional statements. God is this. God is that. So that we can love him. So that we can know that he has loved us. I think it was Martin Luther, uh, giant of the Reformation. He was asked, uh, what's the Bible all about? Like, wh what do you know? What could you say you know? And he said this, I mean, and, and this is a, a man of a gigantic, uh, just literary output. He was, a, he was a genius. And he said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's what the, the, the heartbeat of the scriptures are. 
and the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what happens. As the Holy Spirit comes to us through the Scriptures, He mediates His presence to us. I mean, do you know that when you open up your Bible, what is happening, there's an exchange happening there. And through the very words of Scripture, the Lord is visiting you. Laura talked about how the Lord visits us where we are and in many different ways. And here we know the deposit of truth that God visits us in the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word. And it's insane for me. Me, I'm, I'm putting my hand up, but it's insane for me because I get bored. It is insane for me to ever pick up this book and be bored. But that happens, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit to enliven the words, to enliven our hearts so that we can see the beauty that is in it. There's this one verse in Psalm 119 that says, Lord, open up my eyes so I can behold marvelous wonders in your word. The Bible is real. It is active. It is living. Hebrews says, these are a couple things. John 1.18 says this. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known, Jesus. And that word there, that he has made him known, he's revealed him. That's the word where we get exegete from. He has revealed the Father. And while the Bible is God's word to us, the ultimate word of God is Jesus Christ himself. We don't worship a book here. We need to know that. We need to hear that. We need to know that very clearly, that we do not worship a book here. We worship a person who is the word of God in flesh. It says this in Philippians. Have this mind, Philippians 2, verse 5 to 7. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This word of God, in John 1, it talks about a logos, this, this uh, eternal word has come to us. And what the word does is connects us to him. This God that we worship is not far off, Paul says. He is here. He is with us. And as we engage in the scriptures, as we learn about who he is, what he likes, what he's done for us, and more importantly, how he loves you. Our lives are transformed. Hebrews 1 says this, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also, he created the world. Jesus is the one who we look to. And again, the scriptures connect us to him. But what is the Bible? What is the scriptures themselves? What does the scripture say about the scriptures? I'm going to take you really quickly. You don't have to turn here. It's going to be up on the screen uh, uh, through Psalm 119. Just a few places there about what the Bible says about itself, what God says about his own word. The scripture gives life. Psalm 119, 93. I will never forget your precepts. For by them you have given me life. Verse 72 says that they're worth more than riches. The law of your mouth, that's God's word, the law of his mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Wow. 
Like, I, I don't know, I've never seen thousands of pieces of gold and silver. Like, I, I've never seen that. Maybe in a pirate movie. But this is saying that the, the words, the very words that come out of the mouth of the one who opens his mouth and stars come out is worth more than anything you can imagine. Verse 96. The scriptures are perfect. It says this, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. I've seen perfect. I've, seen, I've experienced perfect. I've seen perfect before, but your word is exceedingly broad, far beyond perfect. The scriptures supply wisdom. Verse 98, your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. They give us guidance in verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to a path. And so often that verse itself is lost on us because we live in an, uh, uh, we live in an age where there's electricity and there can be virtually light 24-7. But at this time, it was dark and it was dangerous at night. And to have God's word as a light to our path, it is the thing that guides us. And finally, the scriptures are from God himself to Timothy says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. I mean, do we get a sense about what we're dealing with here, that this is God's word to us personally? But how do we approach it? How do we even from afar come up into the scriptures and say, okay, how do I even start here? And they're going to be, we need three, it's going to be trifocal. We need three things at all times in order to be able to approach the scriptures. And the, there are these. First one, and you'll see it up here. The first one is messianically. We need to, to deal with the scriptures. We need to approach the scriptures always with Jesus in mind. If you hear a sermon, and let me warn you here, if you ever hear a sermon from the Bible that doesn't mention Jesus, it is not a Christian sermon. It is not a word from the word. Everything in the scriptures is about Christ. Let me read to you this, Luke 24 again. A couple verses before, sorry, a couple verses before uh, what I read, Luke 24 and verse 25, it says this, and he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe that all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And it says here later on that their hearts burned within them while they were walking with Jesus. And I wonder, I wonder, I mean, that must have been the greatest sermon ever. I wonder what it would have felt like to be those disciples of him, to be walking down this road. And Jesus talking about beginning from Moses. Remember the lamb that had to be slain and, and the, uh, uh, the, the, the doorpost that had to be uh, covered with blood so that the Passover would happen? That was me. That was looking for me. That was looking forward to me. Do you remember Leviticus 16 where uh, what we learned last week where everything that had to happen in order for people to be in relationship with God? I'm the lamb 
All the prophets that came, I'm the true prophet. The judges who came to save Israel, those saviors of Israel, I'm the true and better judge. I mean, if you've never read Judges, please do so, okay? It's, it's nothing uh, like what, what you may have learned in Sunday school, uh, but Judges is a, is a marvelous book where over and over and over again, the people of God sin and they forget who he is and they're captured by their enemies. And every single time, God raises up a savior, a judge. And yet again, they fall right back into the same cycle of sin and denial and slavery. And God raises up another judge and another one and another one, and another one. And the end of the book says this, that in the land there was no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. And what is, what is the book of Judges itself saying? When we look at the Old Testament, what is it saying? It's saying you need a better judge, and Jesus is that true and better judge. The entire scriptures are about Christ, and we need to wear those glasses as we approach them. Another thing is canonically, and all that means is we need to read all the parts of the Bible with the broader picture in mind. And what's the whole story? The whole story is this, that God creates a world that's good and perfect. In fact, very good, he says in Genesis. And then in Genesis 3, just two short chapters after, Our first parents, Adam and Eve, they decide to say to God, we don't want you as king. We don't want to submit to you. We want to make up our own right and our wrong. We want to make up our own morality, and therefore, we will turn our back on you and believe the lie of the devil that says, you don't have the best for us. And ever since then, the world has been radically broken. Looking at the news looking at your own hearts, looking at your relationships, looking at your work, the frustrations, everything that has gone wrong in the universe, and this is a big claim, everything that has gone wrong in this world is due to the fact that our first parents have said, no, we do not want you as our God, as our king, as our Lord, as our friend, as our lover. We don't want you. And ever since then, we have been radically broken. But there's this promise in Genesis 3.15 that says, I will send someone born of a woman, the seed of the woman, and he will crush the serpent's head, the liar, the deceiver from Genesis 3. He will crush him. And thousands of years later, Jesus comes on the scene. In the fullness of time, Galatians 4.4 says, in the fullness of time, God himself in the flesh, the word of God incarnate, has come to us. And he lived the life that we could never live. That you could never live. That I couldn't hope of even think about pretending to live. And he dies the death that I deserve. And he's raised to life. And he gives us life. And he gives you life. So that when the father thinks of you, he says, you are my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter. And finally, the end of the story 
is God coming back down to earth and not us going to heaven. I'm sorry if you've believed that. I'm sorry if you've been taught that. But that's just simply not what the scriptures teach. What the scriptures teach is that heaven will come down to earth and radically transform everything. And that story, those movements of creation and the fall and redemption, Jesus saving us and the end, all of that shapes the way we read the Bible. Where is it? You have to ask yourself some questions. Where is it that my text, that my book, where where is it along the line of that spectrum of creation, fall, redemption, and recreation? So we always need to think, okay, Jesus is the center of this text, even when we don't see him like in the book of Judges. And so often, so often someone's presence is felt when they're not there. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. So often we think, well, presence means you're physically, you're ontologically, you're here with me. You're, you're with me. You're next to me. But so often, like in the book of Judges, Jesus is just not there. In fact, Jesus is desperately needed And that's why, that's where he is. He's in the absence of the judges. And as we read all of scripture, whether it's judges or or the first nine chapters of Chronicles, which are all names, I'll buy buy you lunch if you do that. All, All names, all genealogy, first nine chapters of one Chronicles, do that. Or whether we're reading Isaiah in 53, where we read about the the suffering servant. Or in Ezekiel, the the final part of Ezekiel, we're talking about this temple that is majestic. What is that? Well, if you go to Jerusalem now, that's not what he's talking about. Jesus is our temple. Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our king. And that's how we need to read the whole story of the Bible. But finally, we need to read the Bible with mission in mind. I want to take you again to Luke. Uh, Luke 24, at the end, though, 45 and 47, listen to this. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And listen, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning with Jerusalem. What is he saying? He's saying that at the heart of understanding the scriptures is understanding who Jesus is and how he's fulfilled everything, but it's also ascending out. When we read the Bible, even while we're not at the center of it, it includes us. The story includes you and me, not just the apostles and the prophets and the people who were there, but it includes you today. As we read the scriptures, how is it that it's actually sending us to proclaim in word and deed? So we need always to read the Bible with a trifocal lens, if, if you will. We need to read it with always Jesus in mind. We need to read it messianically. We need to read it as part of the grand story of creation, fall, redemption, recreation. But we also need to read it missionally. How is this pushing us forward as a community, as a people of God, as a, a, a church whole, as a person individual, as someone who's in a gospel community or in a triplet? How is this sending us to be the people of God? Not just to uh, give people propositions about him. Not to just to throw grenades of you need to repent and believe. How is it actually helping us, forming us into the people that God calls us to be in this world? 
And if we're not reading the scriptures in these ways, I feel we're going to be missing out of the heart of the scriptures, of what Jesus himself said. This is how you understand the scriptures, that I had to die and rise and that you will be sent out to proclaim in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's at the heart. Now, that's just how do you approach it, but how do we get down into the nitty-gritty of reading the text. I'm just going to give you a few uh, pointers. Um, I wish that we can spend a whole uh, 16 weeks on this. Um, But again, just a few pointers. There's going to be a slide that's going to help us in the back. The first thing is you read your immediate passage. Your passage, what are you reading today? I'm reading Philippians 2. Well, you read that. Or you're reading Ephesians. You read that. And then you have to look at the words and the concepts. You ask yourself some of these questions. Are there words or concepts that are being repeated? Is there something here that I've, I've read before in another part of Ephesians or another part of the Bible? What genre am I reading? I mean, if you pick up a newspaper today, you're going to read it radically different than you would that first love letter that you wrote to your wife or to your husband. And guys, if you haven't written one of those yet, do it. Because you're going to be cleaning up one day. It's, you're going to find it in, 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 a, in a messy pile of rubbish, and it's going to revitalize your marriage do it. But how are you going to read that? You're going to read it radically different. You're going to read it radically different to the way you read a newspaper or the way you read a novel. What what genre are you reading? And the Bible is full. It's poetry. They're love letters. I mean, they're everything imaginable to us. And every kind of literary genre is covered. I mean, love letters from Songs of Solomon to law in, in, in Exodus and Deuteronomy to gospel to letters in the New Testament to personal letters all over the place. What are we reading? What kind of genre are we reading? This, the, another thing we need to be looking out for are figures of speech or, or even how do we detect who's doing the doing? Who's, who who? is the object, uh, sorry, who, who is the, uh, 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 who's doing the verbs in the text? And I want to walk really quickly through Ephesians. It'll be up on your screen with some uh, uh, highlighted parts. It says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Who's doing the doing? This is all God. And when we detect, when we see, okay, who is doing the doing here? What is this calling for? And what this is calling for, what this text is calling for is worship. As we think about everything that God has done for us, he's united all things in him. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit because of him. All of these things that he has given to us, we know because we're detecting who's doing the doing. Okay? Next, we want to look at some of the paragraphs around. If we go back to that slide, look at the paragraphs around and ask questions like this. You know, 
how does it connect? How does this passage that we have here connect to the rest of the Bible? And an example is this, Romans 8.1. You don't need to turn there. Romans 8.1 says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Why is that there? And there's this little word, therefore, that, that is, it, it sparks in us a cause and effect. And if we look at Romans 7, what we see, the beauty of that there is, no, there is therefore no condemnation, the beauty of the backdrop of sin of Paul in Romans 7, struggling with his sin, struggling and saying, I do the things that I hate and I don't do the things that I love, that I want to do. Who can deliver me? Oh, wretched man, he calls himself. Who can deliver me from this body of death? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as we look at the surrounding passages, as we pay attention to the heartbeat of the scriptures, I feel we will be able to engage with them deeper and more meaningfully. And then, as you look at the broader context, you want to look at the whole book. You want to look at the whole book to see if there's, if there's a continuity. Are there, are there themes? Is there a structure to the book? Like Ephesians, uh, like the book of Ephesians, generally, the first half is about what God has done. And the latter half talks more about how we respond in love. How do, you, how do we detect those things? And finally, you want to think about how this passage fits in with redemptive history, with the whole scriptures, with the whole story of God. And here we come full circle. We see that we need a trifocal view where we need to view uh, uh, all the Bible with Jesus in mind. We need to view all the Bible with the whole story in mind and how that calls us into action and into mission. And if those things are missing, it almost feels like we're walking into a conversation where we don't really know what's going on. But in closing, I'm going to say this. If you have even those things, if you have all of that, if you get a PhD in exegesis and you get your master's in biblical theology and systematic theology, and if these two things that I'm going to mention are missing, it is all for nothing. All of this, all this time that we've spent it's all for nothing. And you kind of feel, well, thanks. You could have said that before you started. Could have gone straight to morning tea. But if these two things are missing, it's all for nothing. Isaiah 66, 2 says this. All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Humility. If we don't approach the scriptures with humility, then all, close to all, will be lost. And so often, this book is, is, is uh, we're separated from it culturally. I mean, I, I don't think any of us are Israelites or, or first century Palestinian Jews, are we? I mean, I, I'm not. So we are, there's a vast cultural difference. And so often, we have this thing, what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery. 
where we think, well, now we've made it. We're 21st century North American, sorry, my bad, Australian, Western. I've been here 10 years. I should know that. We're 21st century Westerners. We know better. And so often we approach things in the text and we think that cannot be. But let me just, let me offer you a suggestion. It's not a command, it's a suggestion. Maybe you're reading the text with so thick of your uh, 21st century cultural eyes that you're missing what's really in there. You know, one thing uh, that struck me in reading the Old Testament is that all these uh, men, all the way from Lamech onwards, had multiple wives a lot of times. Even, even people who, uh, uh, who the Lord uh, uh, called to be in his, in his uh, redemptive community of Israel, sometimes especially them. And I thought, wait, hold on. What? This, this has got to be, uh, I, there's no way. How could this happen? But listen to this. While that was a cultural norm, what you will notice is that each of those relationships, those family dynamics, were dysfunctional. And what I believe the, the, uh, God is doing there, he is putting on display how the wisdom of man, even of that time, leads to dysfunction. What is it in our day that we just look at the Bible and we say, no, that can't be? Is it the wrath of God? Is it hell? Is it law? What is it? Be careful, I say. Be careful that you are reading all of your experiences, all of your definitions into the text. Humble. Be humble under the word. Additionally, obedience. So often we think that this Bible here, this, this is, this, these are just words. There's no person behind it. There, there's no uh, uh, rhyme or reason. So whether I obey or not really doesn't matter. What matters is that I know it. And Jesus says this. I was reading John 13, and I love this part. It says, if you know these things, you are blessed. If you do them. My world just came tumbling down when I read that. Because I'm thinking, okay, Lord, so you are calling me to obedience here. And reading the Bible, let me tell you what's dangerous. Reading the scriptures without humility, without the intent to obey the Lord is dangerous work. Because Jesus also says this in Matthew 13. He said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. I believe that so often our lack of understanding comes from our lack of of obedience to the word. Joyful, responsive obedience to what God has done for us. So this is a personal book. This is something to embrace and enjoy and wrestle with. And there will be things, let me tell you, there will be things you do not like. But I wonder what kind of God would we have if everything he said was just on my A-list. It wouldn't be a God worthy of worship. And this word wouldn't be a word that is worthy of diligent study.
and diligent enjoyment. Ellen Cherry says this. Oftentimes, we, we think about the Bible as a science. But it's more like this lost word that I found that's called sapiens. So often we look at the Bible and we want to dissect it and we want to look over it and we want to say, okay, well, these are the verbs, these are the nouns. Let's parse this. Let's see what this says. And then we're done. But Bible reading and Bible engagement and engaging with the scriptures and with God is more uh, about sapiens than it is science. She says this, sapiens includes correct information about God, but emphasizes attachment to that knowledge. Sapiens is engaged knowledge that emotionally connects the knower to the known. That is our goal. Our goal isn't just to fill up our heads. Our goal is to fill up our hearts and to move our hands in joyful obedience to what the Lord has done. And what has he done? He didn't just drop a book out of heaven. He came himself. The word became flesh. Even in the text that we read, and, and he, he popped in, and we didn't get the whole context, but what was happening there is his disciples were hiding out, doors were locked. Some people saw Jesus rise from the dead, and he just walks up and, what's up? Give me some fish. I'm real. I'm here. Touch my hands. Touch my side. It's me. It's not a ghost. A ghost can't eat. He came in the flesh. God incarnate. And today, if he chooses to return and we would meet him in the clouds, we would see the scars on his hands and on his feet. And what that says is, I love you. And what this word says with all of, of the sin that's recorded in here with all of the mess and the dysfunction. Everything is saying one thing. God desires to dwell with us, with you. And I don't know where you are with Jesus today. I don't know where you are. I don't know if you've been tricked into thinking I'm coming to Pact to see a play. I don't know what was happening there this morning with you. But I'm inviting you to the greatest play and story ever, which is walking with the Lord who has breathed out this word. And it's yours to take up and read. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that your scriptures are sufficient for us that they're perfect, that they're clear enough for us to understand. With Augustine, we say that the, the, the word is, is as deep that an elephant can swim in, but as shallow that a child will not drown. So, Lord, help us to take up and read. Help us to take up and understand, not so that we can fill our heads only, but so that that can trickle down into our heart, into our hands, into our how we feel, our affections, our choices, our very being. May our very being change into who you want us to be. And may we meet you in the scriptures as you have promised to meet us. So we thank you for all these things in Christ's name.